Well, good morning. Before our sermon, we usually spend some time in prayer, and I want to do that today, but I want us to pray for two members of our church in particular. I think most of us are in the know about their situation, um, but if not, uh, Patsy Young fell and hit the back of her head, um, has a concussion, brain swelling, and a brain bleed. I have an update uh, for you about that, and that is coming from her niece. And she asked that I share this with you. She is still not out of the woods, but we did get a bit of good news. The neurosurgeon looked at the CT scan and put a little better spin on things than the radiologist that read the report. There is some new blood, but he says it appears there is plenty of room to allow for some swelling. I'm with her tonight and she is still very nauseated when she wakes up and of course a bad headache. I know her church family would want an update in the morning. She is loved by so many. And then also for Nancy French, who has been having a tremendous ordeal with her knee, has had a, two knee replacements and now her knee is infected and she's in the hospital in Louisville and has been for the better part of this week. So pray that they're able to, through antibiotics, get that infection out and back on the road to recovery. I picked out a, a scripture I'd like us to reflect on as we pray this morning and this is speaking it's a prophecy of the messiah and, and what he would be like and of course we know the messiah is none other than jesus christ and he's the fulfillment of this and other prophecies this is malachi chapter 4 verse 2 but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. So that accurately predicts how the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would bring healing. So let's pray for healing for both Nancy and Patsy this morning. Um, and then also spiritual encouragement um, as, as they're facing a, a, a tremendous challenge. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you have all things in hand. You are in control and you are sovereign. You also have power to heal. And we pray, Lord, that you would demonstrate that power toward these two sisters of ours, your children. pray that you would bring comfort and encouragement to them and, and to their families as well. I pray, Lord, that you would console us as a church family, Lord, that, that you love us. There's nothing that is going to happen to us that doesn't first pass through your hands. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that 
through the gospel, we would have hope. That we wouldn't live in anxiety and fear like so many people in our world do. We would have hope and stability through the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray for his glory this morning, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, there is an interesting trend going on in movies and in TV shows, especially since the year 2000. I read from a Christian movie critic named Michael Nicholson. The end is near and it's coming to a theater near you or right into your own living room. As of writing, and he was writing in 2015, over 250 end-of-the-world movies have been produced and more than 100 appearing since 2000. The pace of apocalyptic drama shows no doubt of slowing down. The number of apocalypse-themed movies from 2000 to 2009 doubled over the previous decade and is still on pace to double again by the end of this decade. And I'd, I'd say he's right since then. Now that we're in 2022, there are still a steady stream of end-of-the-world movies and TV shows being produced. And upon hearing that, one has to ask the question, why? Why is this connecting with audiences on a wide screen display that, that's going on? Why is this impacting so many people, well, one answer must be that people are afraid about the future. Uh, people live in anxiety that maybe we're just right on the edge of everything seemingly falling apart. And it does feel like that. It seems like we go from one crisis after another and people just don't have the certainty that everything is going to be okay, and therefore our entertainment reflects that anxiety. There, there is no peace uh, for a lot of people. They expect the world to collapse just right around the corner. So today, fear drives so many people, but I'd like to share with you why, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in this uncertainty that our world has, we can live in hope, glorious hope that we have through Jesus Christ. So let's look at that hope this morning. Let's, let's look at why we don't have to be afraid. And to do that, let's go back to the last time the world ended. And that's Genesis. That's Noah's flood. If you have a copy of scripture, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to be reading the entirety of that chapter. Genesis chapter 8. God remembered Noah as well as the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and water began to, to subside. The sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth, and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. 
the ark came to a rest in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. The water continued to recede until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. And it went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down, but the dove found no resting place for its foot. It returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole earth. <clears throat> and then he reached out and brought it into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone out. After he waited another seven days, he sent out a dove, but it did not return to him again. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread out over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah along with his sons, his wife, and his wife's sons came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, and I will never again strike down every living thing that, as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. This is God's holy word. So we pick up there, and it's the the closing of the flood, the back half of the flood. Noah had reason to believe that the flood waters were starting to go down. The ark itself had rested in a mountain range called Mount Ararat, which is in modern-day Turkey. None of this was by accident. Just as the flood was sent by God, we're told that God stopped the rain. We're told that the watery depths where water was coming up from underneath was stopped. We're told a great wind blew and the water started to evaporate. And most importantly, we're told in verse 1 that God remembered Noah. God had not forgotten Noah and his family and the animals just as he had promised during this flood. They had not heard from God since they were shut up in the boat, but God had not 
forgotten them. And when the Bible says that God remembers, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten and then suddenly some facts came to his mind that he had previously forgotten. That's not what that is talking about. When the Bible says that God remembers, it means that God is about to act for the good of his people based on a previous promise that he had given. God remembered the promise to Noah and his family that he was going to bring them safely through the waters, and he was making good on that promise. To find out just how deep the waters of the earth still were, Noah decided to send some birds out on a test flight. First, he sent a raven. Uh, the raven did not come back to him. Um, the raven was a carnivorous animal, uh, probably eating from the carcasses of animals that were floating on top of the water. Next, he sent out a dove. Well, the first dove came back because he could not find any land. The second dove came back too, but with a small branch in its mouth. Good indication that the floodwaters were going down. He sent a, a third bird, and then that bird never returned. The dove never returned. It was time to get ready to leave the ark. And that's what Noah and his family did. He, he took off the cover of the ark. They were making preparations on, on leaving the ark and allowing the animals to go out. And then, as God said, they could be fruitful and, and multiply and begin to fill the earth with wildlife again. God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you. Do you know the first thing that Noah did when he got off the, off the ark? It was to worship God. It was to build an altar and make sacrifices to God. To show thanksgiving for God saving him and his family in the form of the ark. But it was also more than that. And this is very important. Because not only did these offerings show thanksgiving, these offerings were to atone for Noah's sins and his family's sins. The people that perished in the flood, they paid for their sins. But the question remains, how was Noah and his family to atone for their sins? In the Old Testament, God graciously allowed his people to make sacrifices where the animal would stand in on behalf of the one who was making sacrifices. The animal would take the punishment that that sacrifice, that person making the sacrifice, deserved. And God would temporarily pass over and forgive the one making the sacrifice of their sins. In the Bible, in the, the book of Romans, it tells us the wages of sin is death. God is a, a just God. He can't just overlook our sins. 
He can't just shrug his shoulders and say, no big deal. Noah and his family had to have a way that their sins could be dealt with too. And it was with a sacrifice. And it's like that today for us. There is a sacrifice that we have to receive in faith for our sins. God, in his plan, in his eternal plan that he made before the foundation of the world, made a plan that his son, Jesus Christ, come to earth on a rescue mission to, as strange as this sounds, to become that sacrifice. It was impossible for the blood of cattle and sheep to take away people's sins forever. God graciously received those sacrifices temporarily, but eternally there was yet to be a way for the people's sins to be removed. And in the New Testament, we get the answer. Jesus Christ became our living sacrifice when he died on a cross for us. And then he paved the way for our eternal hope by rising from the grave. And it's through faith in him that we get our sins forgiven and removed. We can't can't earn that. We don't deserve that. We're just as sinful as the people in Noah's day that perished in the flood. We, We deserve punishment. And if we don't trust in Christ, our our sacrifice, we will be punished for our sins eternally. But God desires salvation. God has opened up a way of salvation for any and all who will acknowledge their sin, who will trust in Christ and what he did, and then turn from their sin. To follow Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't stay in that grave, and he wants a relationship with us. The barrier between us and God has been removed, and it's been removed through a sacrifice. We get freedom. We get forgiveness. Christ took the penalty in our place. Do you have that freedom and that forgiveness today? If not, then why not? Why not open up your heart to trust in Jesus Christ and to follow him? Now back to Noah and Genesis. As the fire on the altar was burning on the sacrifices, it said the aroma went up to God and he was very pleased with this sacrifice that he had made. In fact, it says they smelt good to him. Probably not speaking literally, but you get the point. God was very pleased with Noah's sacrifices. In the New Testament, Jesus' sacrifice for us also smells good to God. 
I'll read to you from Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In and of ourselves, in our efforts to try to be good, we don't smell good to God. Our sin is, is stinky and, and rotten to God. In fact, in Isaiah, in the Bible, it, it even says our righteousness, meaning our, our, our self-righteousness, and, and when we're trying to earn things from God, it's like filthy rags to God. It, it's gruesome to God. It, it doesn't please him. We're unacceptable sinners apart from Christ. But because of what Jesus has done, the one who receives Jesus Christ also becomes satisfying to God. Not because we in and of ourselves can become righteous on our own. No, it's because Christ has shared his righteousness with us. And it deeply pleases the heart of God. And he delights in us as his children. Now before we leave this chapter in Genesis, notice how it ends. God has spoken to Noah in this chapter, in previous chapters, but now he begins to speak to himself. Notice what God says to himself about Noah's sacrifices. I will never again curse the ground because of human beings. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. Again, God made this promise not to Noah, not to any human being, but to himself. God was saying to himself, this was what, this is what I'm going to do. And I'll never forget this promise. This is my commitment. And he's making this commitment to himself. To put it in, in other words, even though we were as sinful as the people who perished in the flood during Noah's time, and we still live in a sinful world, God has promised, he's made this commitment to himself that he will not destroy the earth again in a disaster like the flood. He goes on in verse 22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. So the cycle of nature will not be interrupted in a world-ending event like the flood or any man-made disaster. This should come as a complete relief to us. There are so many people in our day that live daily in fear, that we're right on the edge where everything 
is just going to fall apart, where the world is going to come unraveled soon. There are plenty of politicians that, that play on those fears. There are plenty of media personalities and celebrities that play on those fears. But we can be rest assured knowing God's promise that there will be no world-ending disaster like the flood ever again. We're told to fear climate change in the ending the world. It won't, according to God's promise. We're told to fear nuclear and biological warfare ending the world. It won't, according to God's promise. We're told to fear an even worse pandemic ending the world. It won't, according to God's promise. Now, that's not to say that we won't experience until Jesus returns what he called labor pains. And the way he spoke of labor pains is civil unrest, it's, it's wars and, and rumors of wars, it's natural disasters, it's disease, it's, it's famine. Yes, there will be calamities until Jesus comes again. They will take human lives, they will destabilize society, the, the labor pains until he comes again. Those will happen. But we know because of God's promise himself, to himself, right after the flood, that none of these things will bring about the end of the world. We can stop worrying about that. We don't have to live in fear of falling over the end of the world. On the other hand, do you know what will bring about the end of the world? What will bring about the end of the world is God. God will bring about the end of the world and has an appointed time when that will happen. We can be ready for it and we can even look forward to it if we know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, he's appointed a day. In Scripture, it's called the day of the Lord, when his Son will return in power and in glory to judge the world. Anybody who has ever lived will have to stand before the throne of God Almighty. And those who have trusted in Christ will be saved from the judgment and the wrath of God, and they'll be rewarded. And those who've never trusted in Christ, who die in their sins, will be punished on that day, on that terrible day of the Lord. And after this judgment, the end of the world will come. Creation itself will be burned by God with intense heat. The heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. Second Peter chapter 3 describes it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. 
the elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So there's so much to take away from that passage. But for our purposes today, note, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to live in anxiety. You don't have to live with the fear that things are going to spiral out of God's control. You don't have to worry about the day of the Lord or the end of the world happening before God's appointed time. You can have hope that on that day, Jesus Christ has a place prepared for you. On that day, it will be a day of your rescue and reward. On that day, he's going to provide entrance into the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And he tells us what should we live like until that day. We should conduct ourselves with holy conduct and godliness. We shouldn't look at the newspaper, the news cycle that we see, and, and live in constant fear and anxiety that somehow God's plans can be taken from him. No, we can trust in the promise that he gave to Noah that until the day that he has appointed, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And for his people, everything is going to be okay. We can trust in God. We can walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. There are only two destinations in eternity. There is a punishment and a separation from those who will not repent of their sins and die in their sins. And then there is a reward forever of those who do receive the sacrifice that Jesus made in their place, which is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Which one of those two groups are you in? Are you ready for that day? It's not so much the events that we need to be anxious and afraid of. It's God we're told to fear. 
who has the power to throw us body and soul into hell. And the only way of escape that we have been provided is his son, Jesus Christ. Have you embraced his gospel? Have you trusted in his grace and his love? If not, why not? You can today. You can trust in him and you can be saved. And then if you have, just enjoy God. Live in hope that he has the future. He has your future. Nothing can happen to you or to the world that is outside of his control. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, thank you for your peace-giving promises. Thank you for the solid rock of Jesus Christ that we can place our feet and have stability and have purpose and, and meaning in this life and have the assurance of our, our destiny and eternity. Lord, move in our hearts to, to see Jesus for who he really is, to understand his sacrifice for us, for someone who has not received Christ yet. I, I pray that this would be the day that they will. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.